are starting the third week of a sermon series on um, expecting great things. And I started this sermon series off hoping to encourage us as a Jesus community to organize our lives in certain ways. And so two weeks ago I preached a sermon about organizing our lives in such a way that we take relational risks, that we open ourselves up to be in relationship with other people. And I talked about how when I enter into a relationship with someone, sometimes I enter into it expecting that I might be able to help that person. And the truth of it is, if I'm open to the movement of the Spirit of God in my life, what really ends up happening is that relationship changes me forever and causes me to be a better person. And that we, as a community of Jesus followers, need to start taking those risks. And I ended it because I want us to end everything with setting ourselves up for success. And so we ended that with having sign-ups for growth groups where we'll meet in each other's homes and eat food together because there's something really strong about eating food in another person's home. It it opens you up and makes you... uh, It makes you vulnerable. And strength comes from vulnerability. It's one of those weird Jesus things. When we are at our weakest, we are at our strongest, is what Scripture says. So when you come to my house, I'm inviting you into my safe place, right? The place where I go when I've had a bad week and I can go home and know that the people who live inside of those walls will be with me and help give me strength and we help one another. And I know it's the same for you. So when we enter into one another's homes, it's a real invitation into that person's life. And so that's why growth groups are important is because you enter into someone's home and you share a meal with them and you grow together in faith and you grow together in relationships. And that's what it's all about. And so that was week one. And then last week, I was going to preach a sermon about how we should organize our lives in a way that we go out in service and that we serve here at the church and that we serve out in the, in the city around us. And I got really excited when I started looking at the calendar as I was mapping this sermon series out and realized that last Sunday, the Sunday that I was going to be preaching about that was MLK weekend and I was going to tie in like all this MLK stuff and civil rights stuff in with Jesus and servanthood and I was getting this great thing prepared and then I re- realized that Father John Nagley is a member, or not a member, but comes to our church And he was an active participant in the civil rights movement and functioned as a freedom rider. And I thought, well, that'd be embarrassing for me to stand up and act like I know what I'm talking about when we have an actual civil rights veteran in the room. And so if you were here last week, you got to hear him say some inspiring things about why he did what he did. And so this week, I want to talk about generosity. But not generosity in the way that we typically think about generosity. I want to talk about generosity in this upside-down kingdom of God way where God functions as an iconoclast. Where you think you have something figured out, an iconoclast does the opposite, sometimes just to do the opposite, to break the mold of whatever is happening around them. I love those kinds of people. They challenge me, and they frustrate me, and they help me to grow. And I think of God as an iconoclast. So we heard the reading earlier from the book, uh, well, it's a story of Jonah going to Nineveh. But do you remember how Jonah got to Nineveh? He was swallowed whole by a fish 
and lived to tell the tale of being swallowed whole by a fish and was vomited up on the seashore. And here's one of those weird iconoclastic God things. We can get caught up in, the, in, in, in whether that story is true or whether that story is accurate. You know what I mean? Between the difference of truth and accuracy. Accuracy is, what time is it right now on your phone? It's uh, 10.23. That's an accurate statement. But the truth could also be, it's in the middle of the morning. Right? Like, so whether Jonah got swallowed by a big fish and lived to tell the tale, or whether it's a true story that says God moves in crazy ways to get us to do the things that God wants us to do, they're both true. And we can miss the forest for the trees. And that's what an iconoclastic God is about, is like blowing our minds with that kind of stuff. Do you know there's a place in Scripture where God says to make a shawl, and on the corners of the shawl hang some tassels called tzitzit. And when you read the description, the shawl is to be a circle. Can somebody raise their hands and tell me where the corners of a circle are? (laughs) Figure it out. That's the permission that God gives us. Figure it out. And so people struggled to figure it out. And then Jesus comes along to show us what it looked like. And listen listen to this uh, most famous sermon of Jesus. I'm going to read Luke's version of it. It starts in chapter 6 with verse 17. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out of him and healed all of them. Then he looked at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. What in the world? Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be filled. He's not talking about like you skipped lunch and your blood sugar drops and it's 6.30 in the evening and you get mad about every single sound that you hear. That's not the kind of hunger that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about you don't have food and you you have no prospects of more food. And Jesus is saying that if you're hungry that way, you're blessed? I don't know. I don't know about you, but I guarantee you if I were hungry in that way, I would not feel blessed. I don't think. But Jesus is crazy. Things don't make sense with Jesus. He's an iconoclast. About the time you think you've got him figured out, you figure out that you don't have any clue what's going on. And then you've got to try to figure it out again. And listen, listen to this next one. <clears throat> Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Anybody have a broken heart and feel like that's a blessing? It doesn't feel like a blessing. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and defame you on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. 
And then here comes the scary part, as if that part wasn't scary enough. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. May God grant us wisdom and courage as we try like crazy to interpret this ridiculous passage of Scripture. And may God grant us wisdom and courage as we find the truths from it and try to apply them to our lives. Amen. It's going to be a really rare day that you ever hear me say that I'm blessed. Because I feel like saying that I'm blessed because of the health of my children means that people whose children aren't healthy aren't blessed. And I feel like if I were to say, I'm blessed because I have a home to live in, that means that people who don't aren't blessed. And I feel like if I say that I'm blessed because I have a good job that pays me well, people who don't aren't blessed. And I just don't believe that because Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And woe to you who are rich. How in the world can that be? Because that's not the way that I experience life. I'll tell you right here now, as a United Methodist pastor, I am not supposed to gamble. So if you ever see me buying a lottery ticket, please don't tell the bishop. (laughs) But if I ever play a lottery and I win, I'm going to be happy. Because I actually think money can buy happiness. I've been taught that, right? Like, haven't you been taught that, that money can buy happiness? And and I heard one study one time that said money can buy happiness because you can spend your money to buy yourself time, and having free time is where you get happiness. And I think there's probably some truth to that. So when people say money can't buy happiness, I don't believe them. I'd love to try out having more money. And see if it makes me happier. I don't really want to go the other way because I feel like it definitely wouldn't make me happy. But Jesus says all kinds of crazy stuff that mixes that up because if, if happiness is equated with blessed somehow, which actually you know it's not, hap- blessed really means something like deeply satisfied. But I feel like I'd be a lot more satisfied with a lot more money. So, Jesus twists what we think is truth and turns it upside down to show us the real truth of it. That blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are weeping and mourning. Blessed are those who are struggling in some way. I don't know. This week I watched, uh, we found a video that talks about money and happiness, and I I want us to watch that video together, and then we'll talk some more about this upside-down kingdom. While many of us go through life with the pursuit of money on our minds, we're often told that money can't buy happiness. But what truth is there in this saying? Is there a correlation between money and happiness? And if so, how can we use it to our advantage? Humans are very sensitive to change. When we get a raise or commission, we really enjoy it. But we adapt at incredible speeds to our new wealth. 
Some studies have shown that in North America, additional income beyond $75,000 a year ceases to impact day-to-day happiness. In fact, people who win the lottery often report becoming extremely unhappy. They often end up spending all the money, going into debt, and experienced ruined social relationships. So surely money can't really buy happiness. Well, recent studies suggest that the problem may actually be in the way that we spend money. Instead of buying things for yourself, try giving some of it to other people and see how you feel. Studies show that people who spend their money on others feel happier. And while people who spend it on themselves don't necessarily become less happy, their happiness is unchanged. This same principle has been tested on teams and organizations as well. One experiment showed that instead of an organization writing a large check to a charity, dividing the amount up amongst employees and allowing them to contribute to a charity of their choosing increased their job satisfaction. Similarly, individuals that spent monetary incentives on each other as opposed to themselves increased not only job satisfaction, but improved team performance and sales. This has been seen in both sales and sports teams. Almost everywhere we look in the world, we see that giving money or gifts to others is positively correlated with happiness. Interestingly, the specific way the money is spent on others isn't important. From trivial gifts to major charity efforts, spending something on others is the important aspect in increasing your happiness. The emotional rewards of pro-social spending are even detectable at the neural level. If you are going to spend the money on yourself, try to go after experiences as opposed to material things. Traveling or going to an event is more impactful for the vast majority of people in the long run. And while you're saving up for these big experiences, don't forget about the daily joys in life. Many small, frequent pleasures help to get you through the days and encourage change, which stimulates the brain. Instead of buying a $3,000 rug that provides a one-time experience for the next 10 years, a $5 latte with friends will be different each time, offering unique access to happiness opportunities. Though money is unlikely to be the main source of happiness in our lives, it certainly has the potential to make some things easier and complicate others. But at the end of the day, it can buy happiness, if spent in the right way. Well, apparently, money can buy happiness if it's used in a relational way, which gets us to the kingdom of God thing, because I started thinking, how could somebody who's poor be blessed? In the kingdom of God, it looks like people who have wealth, using their wealth to help those who are poor. And how can somebody who is hungry be blessed. Well, the kingdom of God, there is no hunger because everybody gives of what they have. There are no fat preachers in a world where people are starving because there are no fat preachers because they only eat their fair share. They don't eat their share and somebody else's. And in the kingdom of God, how is it that somebody who is weeping can laugh? Well, have you ever had a broken heart and had people come along beside you and sit with you in the midst of your grief? It brings joy to your life. The kingdom of God functions in a weird way because Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to take away all poverty and I'm going to take away all sickness and I'm going to take away all loneliness. What Jesus is saying is, you will. You who are part of this kingdom of God, you will. And so what does it look like to live generously? When I was um, a young dad, and Elise was like about three years old, one morning I took her to McDonald's. I know, 
You don't have to preach to me about it. You shouldn't feed your kids McDonald's and you probably shouldn't eat it yourself, right? But they have good French fries. And I took her to McDonald's and uh, she was playing on the playground and I was watching her play and there was another little boy out there about her age and Elise walked over to him. And well, I have to tell you this also, about that time I was thinking, I don't have enough friends in my life. I need some more friends. And Elise walks over to him and she goes, hi, I'm Elise, I'm three, you want to be friends? And he goes, yeah. And they started playing and I thought, why can't it be that easy? Why can't I just say, hi, I'm Ross, I'm 41, you want to be friends? Then you say like, yeah, and then we go do something, or you say like, no, and then we don't. Like, wouldn't it be so much easier than trying to figure that out? Like, golly. But here's what I think I see from Jesus, is that you gather friends by being the right kind of person. The person who is generous with your stuff, like, the stuff that you have, share it with other people who need it. And be generous with the most valuable resource we have, which is time. You know, we cannot get more of that. You can work and get more money. You will never get more time. That's why when you ask people, you can volunteer or you can give money to help this issue, they're going to give money. But in the kingdom of God, they do both. Because people aren't poor in the kingdom of God. And people don't have need for more friends in their lives because people are generous with their time. But people have friends in the kingdom of God because they're kind and they're generous and they're forgiving and they tell the truth. They do the things that we were taught in kindergarten you should do to have friends. That's what we should be about, is living generous, wholehearted lives. So in 2018, Morningstar, let's do that. I mean, Scripture tells us to do something, and we're like, yeah, Jesus said it. That's great. That's true. Hmm. The end. And then science tells us that it's true, and we're like, oh, man, now we're getting somewhere. The end. At some point... We have to give it a try. One day, we will really test out the words and teachings of Jesus to see if they're true. And this is what Jesus says. Those who hear my word and do what I say will know the truth of my word and then the truth will set you free. It's not the hearing of it in which we recognize the truth. It's the doing of it in which we recognize the truth. So when we talk about generosity, I'm not just talking about our money, but I am talking about our money. But I'm talking about our time. When, When somebody stands up and says, hey, we have a bunch of kids back there, and they need a Sunday school teacher, are you ducking or are you thinking about it? Maybe I should do that. Because who were your Sunday school teachers? And if you didn't have one, maybe you should have. Mine was Susan Seipel in Carlsbad, New Mexico. The very first time I remember going to church, I walked into her Sunday school classroom and she kneeled down with a cookie sheet full of jello molds, one, and it was like, like fish and crosses and stuff. And I said, I'll have the green fish. And I went back the next week and the next week and the next week. 
and Susan shaped my life. We need people to serve. It doesn't cost you anything except the most valuable resource you have, which is time. And you'll never get it back. I'm not going to make any promises. It might suck. You might end up in a room full of kids crying and one might have a dirty diaper and you're going to have to smell that or deal with it or call their mom or dad or... I don't know. It may not be the greatest thing ever, but I know what? I know this is true. You'll be living a generous life and there's nothing ever wrong with that. Ever wrong with that. That's who we are, Morning Star. And it's not just us. That's who we are, Jesus people, we get known for being against so many things. We're against this and we're against that. And you could name them all, I'm sure. But what are we known for? Golly, what are we known for? Being about that is good instead of being known for being about something that we think is bad. Our Savior said, live this way. And you will find truth and you will be set free by it. Sometime, I hope I get the courage to try it. Because I bet it's right. I bet he's right. So in 2018, let's live generously all the time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.